Well, good afternoon, Grace Hill Church. How are how are you? Okay. I've heard a few. I've heard like three of you. Let me get all my stuff out here. Well, it is great to be here. It is a gorgeous day. I know the sun is hot, and when the clouds come over it, it's a bit of cool relief. So maybe we'll get a few clouds to come by. But thanks for being here today. I believe this is our, uh, what is this now, our fourth service here at Cedar Run Community Church. And this has been just such a blessing to us to be able to meet here. We're just so grateful for this church, their partnership, just their kingdom-mindedness and their desire to be able to serve other churches and serve God's purposes. So we just, we praise God uh, for this church and what they have done for us. And so thankful that you have come out. If you're new with us, we're glad that you're here. If you're online joining us, maybe for the first time, Glad that you're tuning in. My name is Alan, one of the pastors here at Grace Hill Church, and I really do pray one day that we get uh, to meet you. Uh, If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Mark chapter 8. That's what Brian and Jen just read for us. Or if you have your phone app, get that out and ready to go and to read and study together. As we always say here at Grace Hill, we always like you to have a Bible in your hand, even if it's your phone because we really want you to read along with what we're saying and testing what we're saying against what God's Word has to say. And so I'm just real excited to jump into Mark 8 uh, this afternoon. Let me pray for us real quick as we jump in. Father, right now I just simply want to pray before we read your Word and we seek to understand what it has to say and what you're telling us in this specific scripture. God, I just want to ask that by your spirit, you would enlighten our minds and our hearts to what you have to say. Lord, I'm, I'm aware this afternoon that the words that are in your scripture, specifically here in Mark 8, that, that we're going to read can, can be difficult to hear. Or it can be confusing as to exactly what you mean. And so, God, I pray you would help us to understand your heart and your character and your goodness with what's in your word and what we're about to study together. God, help us to focus and to be present in this moment. We got so many distractions, the traffic, the wind, the beautiful weather outside, the, you know, maybe we have kids that we're trying to watch, all kinds of things right now. But Lord, just pray that by your spirit, you would speak to us right now. Christ's name. Amen. All right. So two weeks ago was Palm Sunday, and we started this new sermon series that we also did on Easter last week called If Jesus is Real. And we wanted to spend some time trying to wrap our minds and our hearts around this glorious truth that we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And so two weeks ago, we started in Isaiah 53. And we had to start in a place where we needed to be humbled. We started in verse 6 in Isaiah 53, where it says, all of us, me, you, we have all like sheep gone astray. We have turned every single one of us to our own way. Every one of us, every human being, 
There's, there's nobody this doesn't apply to has turned away from God. And we talked about that two weeks ago. The fact that what this basically means is we want God's things, right? We want this life. We want to gain for ourselves every single thing that this world could possibly offer us. We just don't want God. We want his stuff. We don't want him. We are convinced that the good life, that joy, that happiness, fulfillment, all of that, that we can find it here, but just in our own way, not in God's way. And so sin is this belief that, yeah, God, he's overbearing, he's restrictive, he's a killjoy. I'm going to go my own way because we think that is better. And the glorious truth of the gospel is is God's response, listen to this, to our rejection of him. He gave us all of these amazing things. We rejected it, said, no, no thanks, I can do better. And then the amazing news of the gospel is how God responds to that rejection. The glorious news of the gospel is that God is more committed to your joy than you are and to the fulfillment of your soul than you are. He is more motivated to turn your life into the direction of joy than than you and I are. And he's willing to take radical measures to intervene into our life, to, to cleanse us of our sin, and set us on a new trajectory. All right, so, so the first thing that God needed to do is take care of our sin. So we're continuing in Isaiah 53. Again, this is two weeks ago, just by way of recap. In verse 6, it says, yes, we've all gone astray, but it says, but the Lord has laid on him, Jesus. Remember, this was written 700 years before Jesus even walked on the planet. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Right, God's response to our sin, God's response to our rejection is to draw near to us, not to reject us in turn, but to draw near, to pursue, to press in. And Jesus came and willingly took our sin upon himself and everything that we deserve along with that. And he took it to the cross to give us that fresh start, to clean that slate. He sacrificed himself. And you know what God did with that sacrifice? Jesus does that. He sacrifices himself on the cross. He takes it to God. He offers this sacrifice. This is what we celebrated last week. What God does is he joyfully accepts the sacrifice. It's valid. That will work. And what that means is that death could no longer hold on to Jesus. And so Jesus rises again from the dead, confirming that death had been defeated, sin's been dealt with. We now have the fresh start. We now have the clean slate. We can now draw near to God because we're acceptable in his sight. And we can, be, and we can say, all right, God, going my own way didn't work. It's a tough place, this world. There's a lot of pain and suffering. It didn't work. I can't do this. I don't think I'm as good as you are at running my own life. So I want to repent of going my own way. And God, I want to trust you with your way. 
And so over the past two weeks, we have been learning about how the cross and the resurrection of Jesus has dealt with our sin and given us that fresh start. Here's the question that I have for us today. Now what? If Jesus is real, and if I confess that, yes, I've, I've gone my own way, and I trust the cross and the resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, what does it now look like to follow Jesus and to no longer go my own way, but to start to go God's way? How does that work? Well, that brings us to our text today. Mark chapter 8, verses 31, all the way to 38. Jesus is going to answer this question for us pretty plainly. I'm going to, I'm going to just start for, with verses 31 to 33. Let me read this again, and, and thanks to Brian and Jen for reading for it for us earlier. It says, it says and, and Jesus began to teach. So he's just with his disciples. He's teaching them, did this a lot. So he began to teach that the Son of Man, which is him, Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, right? He was betrayed by the Jews, and be killed on the cross. And then after three days would rise again. Verse 32 says, and he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside. I love Peter because I, I relate most with Peter. Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him, rebuking Jesus. Like you watch him calm the wind and the waves, and you're like, I have the authority to rebuke this guy. That's Peter. Verse 33, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Jesus rebuked him back and said, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, let's stop there for just a second. Jesus is with his disciples. This is obviously before the cross, the resurrection, all of that. And the text says that Jesus began to plainly teach them about these things. All right? And I bet his disciples are like, finally, Jesus is teaching plainly. Okay? All right, and so Jesus is like, all right, guys, here's the plan. Here it is. I'm bringing my kingdom down to earth, and I'm ready to tell you the plan of how this is going to happen. And Peter, remember Peter. Peter was a zealot before he started to follow Jesus. And so when he hears talk about a new kingdom, he gets all excited because to him, what that means is that they're about to do something that's going to drive the Romans out, right? Peter's the guy who's ready to draw his sword and let's get Jesus in power. Let's go. And so Peter's getting excited. Finally, Jesus is telling us plainly about his plans, about how his kingdom's going to come and invade, and we're going to drive out our oppressors. And so Jesus is like, all right, it's all going to start in Jerusalem. We're going to go to Jerusalem because that's where I'm going to start my kingdom. All right, and here's the plan. You ready? and I'm going to suffer. And the chief priests and all the Jewish elders and the scribes, they're actually going to collude with the Romans to execute me. And I'm going to die. 
But don't worry. Three days later, I will rise again from the dead. And then we're going to start this kingdom. Right? Jesus is now speaking plainly about everything we've talked about over the last two weeks. He was headed to the cross to take away our sins. He was going to rise again, having conquered our sin as our Lord and Savior. But this was not what Peter was expecting to hear Jesus say. Wait, what, Jesus? Suffer? Die? Rejection? Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? How about words like conquer? How about turning all of the people of the Jerusalem against Rome and against all the Jews that have colluded with them? How about taking power? You command the wind and the waves. Well, let's start taking command of the empire. And so Peter, in his zeal, rebukes Jesus. This wasn't the way he imagined this was going to go. And Jesus sharply rebukes back. Is what he says to Peter. He says, Peter, listen, listen. You're not thinking about this according to the ways of God. You're thinking about this according to the ways of man. And so Jesus, sensing a good moment to do some additional teaching on this topic, kind of gathers his disciples again and, and more of the crowds. And he continues. Verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, you want to follow me. If you want to be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Here's what Jesus is saying. There is a correlation between who you believe Jesus is and what you believe it means to follow him. In other words, there's a correlation between your view of Jesus and your view of discipleship, of, of what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a Christian. Right, right. Peter here is learning right, right in on the spot what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And of course, he's been on a journey trying to figure that out, trying to figure out who Jesus is. And if you read just a few verses above this in Mark chapter 8, Peter confesses, he's the first disciple to do so, who Jesus actually is. He says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah that we've been waiting for. But Jesus is now teaching Peter what that actually means. Because Jesus is saying, Peter, I'm not bringing my kingdom by force. I'm not bringing my kingdom by coercion. I'm not going to assume the throne of the Roman Empire or become some political leader of Israel and establish the kingdom of God from a position of human power. That's not what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to do it, Peter, through the cross. And what it means to be a disciple of mine, what it means to follow me, is that you do it that way too. You know, if you study world history or American history, whenever Christianity as a religion seeks to expand its influence upon the world from a position of political power or authority or influence, it never goes well, ever, right? Whenever Christians seek to use human power and human authority to push our ethics or push our ways our way of life, or our beliefs on people, it doesn't seem to work because that's the way of man. We're thinking about it according to the ways of man. And that's not how God has decided to expand his kingdom or to expand his church. See, Peter's view of Jesus is evolving, right? Right on the spot. And therefore, so is his understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to follow Jesus, because the two are connected right? Peter saw Jesus as a revolutionary. And so he thought, here, this is what it means to follow Jesus, to be a revolutionary too. But it's not the way it was. You know, it's the same for all of us. Our view of Jesus is going to determine what we think it means to actually follow him, right? So if in your heart of hearts, if you believe that Jesus is just a a great teacher, you know, an ancient teacher. He points us to the way of wisdom. He was a prophet. Maybe he was enlightened in some kind of way, you know, but he is one of many religious leaders or philosophers that guide us in the way of wisdom. Then following Jesus for you, if that's your view of Jesus, it's it's like going to be the same thing as hiring a business coach or a mentor. He can influence your life. He can help you make some good decisions in your life. But he's not going to radically change your life one way or another. Your life remains your own to live, and you do what you want with it, right? You're still going to look to the things of the world for your joy and your fulfillment. Or if you believe that Jesus demands a sort of obedience from us in exchange for his love and his grace, Right? If you have a hard time believing that Jesus would put the religiously devoted person in the same category as the prostitute when it comes to the people that he came to save, then following Jesus will be this constant labor of ridding yourself of sin, always trying to follow the rules, always seeking to prove yourself worthy of his grace. That's what discipleship will constantly be, and believe it or not, It will lead to a joyless, self-centered life of performance. A pretty characteristic life of many Western Christians. Discipleship is just about trying to do better. But see, over the last two weeks, we've been talking about who Jesus is and what he did according to the scriptures And some of you may have thought that what we've been teaching about the cross is a bit too radical, unbalanced, maybe leaning too far on the side of grace, right? We've 
We've been teaching that if you receive the gift that is the cross and resurrection of Jesus, that God will literally never punish you ever again because it's been satisfied on the cross. That all accusations against you will have been canceled. That everything you deserve or you owe for your sin, past, present, listen, and future has been taken care of on the cross, that God now delights in you as one of his children, and that will never change. All because of the cross and resurrection, right? That's radical stuff right there, right? It's, it's, it's the kind of radical stuff that makes you wonder, wait, does this mean I can just keep sinning however I want, like I have this get out of jail free card? Right? Or, or some people get nervous when you preach the, the craziness of the gospel because they're afraid that people will abuse that and, and, and not actually start to live their lives according to God's ways. But listen, listen, here's what I'm saying. There is a connection between the radical things that Jesus did to save us and the radical life that he is calling every single one of his followers into. What Jesus did is radical, and it produces a radical result in his people. What Jesus did is give his life for the sake of his enemies, and that produces disciples who are willing to deny themselves and pick up their cross and do the same. And this is how Jesus will build his kingdom. This is how God is enacting his will upon the world, by building his church, an army of people willing to pick up their cross and let God use them according to his purposes. So here's, here's what I want to do very briefly as we come to the close here, is, is I just want to end our time helping us to understand what does Jesus mean when he says, pick up your cross, follow me, all right? Now, I could, I could talk for a very long time on this, so I'm going to discipline myself and give you two ways. Two ways that we can pick up our cross and follow Jesus. Here's way number one. The first way we pick up our cross is actually by trusting God's will for our life. Trusting God's will for our life. If you think about Jesus, when he was going to come and pick up his own cross. He knew that God's will for his life was to become one of us, to suffer as one of us, and to sacrifice himself to take away our sins. He knew that was God's will for his life. And we know that Jesus wrestled with this when we read about his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. But Jesus knew God's plan to bring his kingdom and to redeem the world, and he knew his role in that plan, and he trusted God with it. Now, when I talk about God's will for our life, I, I know many of us get tripped up with that because we think we're talking about God's, like, specific will for, for your life, you know, the job you're supposed to have or this or that or where you're supposed to live. And many of us struggle trying to crack the code of like, what is God's specific will for my life? And let me just say to you on that, that, that God is less concerned about you cracking that code. He will lead you to his specific will, but he's more interested in you giving yourself over to his overall will for your life. And here it is. Here's his overall will for your life. 
that you wouldn't look to this world to be what would fulfill your soul, but you would trust Jesus to be the one to fulfill your soul as you follow him to the cross. It's exactly what Jesus did when he picked up his cross. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two says, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, look at this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand on the throne of God. Jesus trusted God's will upon his life, even as he did the hard things that God called him to do. And Jesus wants us to trust him in the same way. Trust him that there is joy in following him and not seeking to gain the whole world. Trust him when he says, verses 35 to 37, right? For who would ever save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world if he forfeits his soul? And so you might ask, well, how do I begin to trust God's will in my life? And the only way to understand God's will for our lives, the only way to continue to trust in Jesus is to be with God. We got to do what Jesus did and follow him, right? Jesus got alone with God. He spent time in prayer. He learned to hide God's word within his heart. He was constantly reminded that that God is more committed to his joy. And we have to be reminded that God is always committed to our joy as we follow him into the things that he calls us to. Because listen, here's the deal. When we understand that God's will on our life is to join him in bringing his kingdom and that we can trust him to bring joy to our souls, that's going to allow us to do the the second way that we pick up our cross, right? First way is we got to trust his will of what he's leading us into. Here's, Here's the second way that we pick up our cross is, is love sacrificially. I mean, the cross is a symbol of sacrificial love. The fact that Jesus gave of his own life, that we could live, that we could have life, that we could have joy, that we could be reconciled to God. And see, many Christians see discipleship and following Jesus as the first point I gave, right? Understanding God's will, knowing his word, spending time in prayer seeking to grow my knowledge of who God is. That is absolutely a part of it. But that's half. Jesus also said to actually pick up the cross too and to sacrificially love. And so here's how God builds his kingdom. He's seeking to build a church. He's seeking to build a people. He's seeking to build an army of people who have been radically saved by his radical grace, and therefore they live radical lives, fully trusting that God is going to bring his kingdom and willing to give up their life for others. Right, right. People who are willing to boldly proclaim the love of Christ and not be ashamed, even if it costs us something socially. People who are willing to fight for justice for those who are oppressed in our world. People who are willing to open up their homes to the orphan and the widow. People who are willing to be a friend to the lonely and the awkward. 
people who are willing to give of their time and their money to serve the poor and the marginalized, people who are willing to, listen, rethink their career paths and rethink their financial goals and rethink their retirement plans and how much money they spend on their lifestyles and a number of other things so they can position themselves to love people sacrificially. People who are willing to wring their lives out in love of others. People who do not believe that anything in this world will fulfill their soul for one second, but they can trust God with it. And as we love people as Jesus has loved us, we give people a taste of the kingdom that he's bringing. We proclaim the gospel of this kingdom that he is bringing. And more and more people are gonna be reconciled to God. The gospel of Jesus Christ frees us from needing to gain the world in order to have joy. And Jesus is bringing about his kingdom, not by force, but by the cross. Both the cross of Jesus Christ that reconciles us to God from our sin and also the crosses that you and I bear each day in love as we seek to show people the kingdom that he is bringing. Listen, a radical gospel will produce radical disciples who are willing to pick up their cross too and follow Jesus straight up the mountain. And so as we close today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna enjoy communion together. And if you didn't grab a communion cup, you can grab it over there at our welcome table. There's plenty. But communion is a way that we remember this radical gospel. It's a way that we remember that Jesus picked up his cross for us. He picked it up for you. And when we chew the bread, we're reminded of the body of Jesus as it was broken for us. That's a hard thing to say, that the body of Jesus was broken. It's a radical thing to say that. Or when we think about the juice as we drink it, we think about his blood that was shed. That's a violent thing to say. But the cross is God's radical love for us. And so Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that a good thing to do when we take communion is to examine ourselves. I think this would be a good time to go before the Lord to examine ourselves and to ask this question. Here, here's the question I just want us to ask is this. If, if I were to look at my life and how I follow Jesus, if I were to look at my life and what I believe what it means to be a disciple. If I were to look at my own willingness to sacrificially love others, what would it tell me about what I believe about Jesus? Because there's a connection between who we believe Jesus is and what it means to follow him. And maybe today could be that day where we're reminded, all of us, we're reminded that Jesus loves us more than we actually believe. And that the cross and the resurrection actually did take care of all of your sins. 
and that God is not frustrated with you and he doesn't hang all of your mess-ups over your head. Because the cross actually reconciled you to him forever. And you'll never lose that. And so I want us to meditate on the cross. Because I believe with everything in me that when Christ captures your heart and we understand what actually occurred on the cross, we actually understand the level of his grace that he will change our hearts and we will be people who will willingly pick up our crosses too and love one another and love our neighbors with sacrificial love. Because that's how God's building his kingdom, church. That's how God's building and growing his church. It's through sacrificial love of his people. It's not these big grandiose plans. It's being willing to suffer so that others may live, just like Jesus did for us. So here's what I want us to do. I just want us to spend a few minutes in prayer right now, and I want us to examine ourselves. Remember the cross and ask Jesus to remind us of his radical love for us because it's life-changing. So what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna pray for us right now, and then I just, when I'm done, I want you to just take a few moments and I want you to spend some time meditating on the cross. And if Jesus is someone you've never placed your trust in before. And you keep hearing about the cross and you're not exactly sure what you think. I, I just challenge you to use this time. Don't worry about communion because that might be confusing. But maybe just take this time and just pray and ask God, God, if you're there, will you, will you make yourself real to me? Because if this is true, I wanna get in on it. So will you reveal yourself? I just challenge you to pray that. Spend a few minutes in prayer wherever you're at. Take the communion elements when you're ready. And then we're gonna end our time in some song. Let's pray. Father, as we just take a few minutes to stop and sit in some silence, I pray that you would meet each and every one of us with exactly where we need to be met. God, I pray for those out there who've lived a marginal Christian life, a nominal Christian life, where they just kind of one foot in, one foot out, where their faith really hasn't changed much of who they are. Lord, I, I pray that in this moment, you would overwhelm them by your grace and your goodness and that they would see the beauty of what you're doing in this world and of the cross in such a way they've never seen it before, where it's not just something that they know intellectually, but it's something they actually feel in their body for the first time, that you love them. And God, I pray you would just snatch them and you would use them in amazing ways to advance your kingdom. God, I pray for those who are here today who don't know you, that right now you would reveal yourself to them and that they would see the beauty of the cross and they would give their whole lives to you right now. 
And God, for those who are here, who are faithfully following you and God, I pray you would reaffirm your love for them. I pray you would reaffirm for them your commitment to their joy. And God, you would continue to encourage them to continue to push the envelope when it comes to following you and being your disciple. Because the world doesn't have anything to offer us, but Lord, we know our souls are secure in you. So God, in this time right now, just pray that you would minister to each person exactly with what they need. In Christ's name. Amen.